Hello, plant fam. How are you? I don't know if it's morning or if it's afternoon or night where you are and when you're listening to this, so I'm not going to say good morning. But essentially, this is when I would be saying, good morning, How are, hi, how are you? So that's what this is. Um, anyway, my name is Drew, and I have the honor and privilege of owning and operating Clara Joyce Flowers nestled at the foothills or the base of the foothills of the Driftless region in northwestern Illinois. So thanks for being here. I don't think foothills is actually the right word for that. I think it's more like rolling hills because it's pretty just hilly here. It's not like mountainous. So you can drive your car to the farm. You don't have to walk. Is that what qualifies something for a foothill? We're way off track right now. Anyways, um, today we're going to be talking about direct seeding, which is one of the things that like I've opened up my mind to over the past few years because I get like a high off of efficiencies and direct seeding just makes crops so much more efficient when it comes to the beginnings. It just makes me so happy. So um, that's what we're going to be talking about. I've got it broken out in the several different um, factors or things to keep in mind, things you should know about direct seeding that I've picked up in my own experience. Um, and yeah, I'm super excited. Also, P.S. Um, this week was my birthday week. Um, so yeah, my birthday's on the 22nd. This is the 25th. So anyways, that's just putting it out there for the world. So happy birthday to me. Um, let's get started. We're going to talk about direct seeding. So there are a few fundamentals that we should keep in mind. Um, and I think one of the biggest things that scares people away from direct seeding and definitely was intimidating to me from the beginning um, was that when you are direct seeding a crop, um, you really have to be using a, a bed or um, a soil space that doesn't have, oftentimes, doesn't have a cover on it, whether that's a biodegradable film like Bio360, which we use for all of our transplants, or whether that's landscape fabric, if you utilize landscape fabric for your annuals, um, because those materials can really make or break a crop. Um, if you have landscape fabric or any barrier of any capacity, um, that's giving you so much benefit, okay? So first of all, that is a huge barrier for weeds to have to penetrate through. So it's saving you weeding time. Um, that barrier is also um, helping maintain moisture underneath that bed surface. Um, and it's also helping to warm up that soil and regulate that soil temperature a little bit better for you. Um, especially in the spring when your plants are very young. So when you remove those things, you uh, can have some interesting um, looking beds. We'll just put it that way. It's not always pretty. Um, but there are a few things that you really should keep in mind when it comes to the overall thought process with direct seeding and also um, things you need to have right away in the spring with direct seeding or whenever you're direct seeding these crops. Uh, the first thing is I really would not suggest direct seeding on a brand new area without some sort of cover on a bed. Um, so if you are brand new to a field um, and you've never really seen the weed pressure that you have to deal with, 
um, probably don't do this right away. Um, but however, if you are really good about keeping up on your weeds and you've been able to cultivate the same soil and that same uh, plot um, for several years and you are comfortable and you're familiar with the amount of weed pressure that you have to work with, um, this might be a, an option for you. Um, the second thing that you really have to have right out of the gate is you need to have a drier or a somewhat loose soil in order to run a seeding device through. If your soil is too wet, you're not going to be able to push uh, whatever seeding mechanism or tool that you're using easily through that soil. Um, and you're also not going to get super great coverage on a wet soil either. Um, when we're direct seeding, we need to make sure that we have a really good seed shell to soil contact ratio. So um, we, that's really important to have dry soil so that you've got good contact so that when you water that space through irrigation, preferably drip irrigation, if that's what you've got, um, you're, you've already initiated that contact. So it's just going to be a better process. Um, I touched on this in like two words in the previous point, but you need to have a loose soil profile. Um, and that ties back to the ease of using a seeder. Um, and you also need to have a really good water supply as well. Um, water supply and irrigation in general is such a huge um, thing to keep in mind with direct seeding um, because you are germinating seeds in the earth. And if you ever experience a drought or you grow in an area that doesn't receive super, super consistent rainfall, um, you're going to have to facilitate that on your own. So if you don't have ample amounts of water available to you or water is a little bit harder to get to your plot, um, keep that in mind because you're going to use a lot of it. So uh, that's number one, is the germination time. Number two is that when you're growing on a bed without cover, um, water is going to evaporate off of that soil much quicker. So that's hurdle number two, which ties back to some of the points that are included with number one in the germination point is, you know, how much water do you have available to you? Um, because you're going to have to be using a lot of it. Um, you also have to factor in that there are going to be weeds that grow in your direct seeded beds, and sometimes those weeds are going to get away from you. So those are going to be using water too. Um, so you got to keep that in mind as well. Some of the uh, tools that are necessary for direct seeding um, is you really need to have a seeding device because um, it can be challenging I've learned through my own experience um, to efficiently weed a direct seeded bed if you just sprinkle seeds on top. Okay. The reason that can be challenging is because if you have things in nice straight rows, you can take a hoe or a weeding device and run right down the middle of those aisles between your strips of plants. Um, if you sprinkle your seeds on top, you're going to be manually weeding that entire bed by hand, um, which is a challenge. So when we're talking about seeding devices or tools or mechanisms, um, there are two main ones that, that come out in my mind. Um, number one, which is the most affordable 
and accessible um, and I would say mechanically the easiest to work with is going to be an Earthway Walk Behind Cedar. Um, you can usually get these for less than $100. Um, I know you can get them online. Oftentimes, your farm supply stores will have them definitely in the spring, if not year-round. Um, and that's honestly what I do the bulk of our um, direct seeding with, uh, is, is an Earthway seeder. Um, the replacement parts are very cost-effective, um, and it's very, very easy to use. Um, the one downfall with an Earthway seeder is that it's just not designed for super, super small seeds. Um, and I'll get to a little break away or a, a little trick on how to work with that in a minute. Um, so Earthways are, are fabulous. We use Earthways exclusively for direct seeding sunflowers, um, direct seeding wheat or specialty grains, things like that. Um, it's also wonderful for zinnias because it gets the seeds um, closer together. So you're going to get a nice taller flush right out of the gate. Um, when we're talking about direct seeding crops that can be a little bit more expensive to purchase, like zinnias, if you're buying new seed every year, um, this might not be the best thing to do. Because if you're paying um, you know, upwards of $60 for a thousand count pack of orange lime from the clean series um, you probably aren't going to do that with the direct seeder okay you're going to be doing those by plugs um, but if you've got something more accessible or more affordable um, that you would be paying like five dollars for a thousand count for um, then by all means go for it um, and you're also going to be able to um, terminate these crops earlier when the weeds start to get out of hand and you'll have more flushes ready to go um, there was something that just ran across my head. Oh, well, it'll make it around. It just keeps circling on the track. Um, but Earthway, great. Um, Jang is the next brand of cedar. Um, Jang is known to be yellow um, in color and much, much more precise. So you would definitely want to be using a Jang cedar um, for crops that are very, very small. Um, so things like solosha or poppies, um, those you would definitely be, definitely be using a jang cedar for. Um, jangs are a lot more mechanically inclined. So there are different rollers and brushes. Um, there's more gears and chains and things like that that go in or belts that go into a, a jang cedar. Um, and with all of those things and all of that increased precision comes an increase in price as well. Um, so you just need to factor that factor that in. Um, so if you're going to be direct seeding for the long haul, investing in a Jang might be a, a good idea. Um, but if you're just going to be growing sunflowers, um, an Earthway is more than enough. Um, so no need to really fret about that. There is a third mechanical direct seeder that I've been watching on the market, and it's been improving. It's relatively new, um, but it is a basically a cross between a Jang and an Earthway when it when it, we're talking about a mechanical perspective. But the unique thing about this one is that it punches a hole through a stretched film bed. So we have a machine that goes behind our attractor called a bed shaper. It's an implement, a tool. Um, and what it does is it pulls together 
loose soil from the surface of the bed, and then it forms it into a three-foot-wide um, bed that's elevated and raised six inches. Um, and that's, that's the process, that's the tool that we use for all of our um, plugged annuals. So anything that we're growing in a plug or a transplant and we're planting out is going into a stretched film bed. And I just talked about all the reasons why you would be a little leery of direct seeding without cover. So as the years go on and they get better and better and they get this new direct seeder really refined, um, this is going to be a huge game changer for direct seeding small specialty crop flowers um, into a covered bed. So this is going to be huge. The... Um, Brains behind the cedar currently are more so focused on food crops. So things like sweet corn, um, green beans, things with a larger seed. Um, they've already got it figured out for this machine. Um, so it's just now trying to refine it to work for smaller sized seed. Um, so things like celosia and poppies and amaranth and cosmos, things that we really do a lot of that are very small. Um, right now, they're just slipping through the mechanics, and they're not really doing where they what, they're not going where they need to go. Um, so, in due time, that will be resolved. Um, but if you want to try this cedar, please do be my guest. Um, Noltz currently has it. Um, I don't know if it's available elsewhere, and I honestly don't even know like the specific name for it. I just know that it's a direct cedar that is designed to punch a hole through a, a stretched film bed. Um, and then it will drop the seed right in at the same time. So I'm very, very excited and looking forward to the progresses in that department. Um, there are a few other devices that we can use for direct seeding. Um, one of them is what I call like a tap, tapping seeder. Um, so oftentimes you would be using this device for seeding on a uh, flat or a tray. Um, but you can also use it for direct seeding outside, directly into the soil. Um, and all it is is it's basically a little disc that has a, a groove or a channel coming off of it. Um, you fill the disc or the main compartment with seeds, and then you're going to basically tap the side of it with your finger, and the seeds will slowly start to come out the channel. Um, and you can just walk th along your row um, and tap those seeds into a little ditch or a little groove that you've already established in that bed of loose soil. Um, it's a great option for doing things on a small scale or if you're doing tests of different crops and you're only planting, you know, three or four feet of one crop, doing something like this that's a little more hands-on is ultimately going to be a lot more precise in that small of an environment or set setting. If I were planting an entire 100-foot row of something, I probably wouldn't do that all with a hand seeder. Um just because it's going to take you a lot longer. And one of the main principles or thought processes with direct seeding is you are um, eliminating time in planting. Um, because when we're growing a transplant, uh, we still have the same seed cost. Okay, so we still have that. That's not avoidable. Um, but when we're growing in transplants, we have the cost of the tray, we have the cost of the soil, we have the labor to take care of and um, produce that plug. Then we also have the labor of taking the plug out of the tray and then planting that plug into the soil. 
So there's a lot of cost there. So if we're able to eliminate that and pay for the seed and pay for the labor to plant, we're saving a lot of money. Um, but we still need to keep in mind labor because we will have weeding time um, in, in um, field crops when it comes to direct seeding. That's what kind of crossed across, ran across my mind a few minutes ago was um, even though we are planting things um, in the field and we're, we're doing this a lot quicker through direct seeding, um, you are going to have a certain amount of loss in this uh, type of growing system as well. So you're going to be spending the same or maybe a little bit more on seeds because they're a little bit closer together. They're a little more irregular um, in spacing oftentimes. Um, but because of that, you, or in turn with that, um, you're saving a lot of money when it comes to labor, which we just broke out all of the things that uh, we have to pay for when we're talking about growing plugs. Uh, so it is a little bit different of a situation. Um, in relation to or going back to the tap seeder that we just talked about, if you are doing another small space, you can um, do that same thing with your hand. You know, there's nothing wrong with um, just sprinkling seeds onto a bed. Um, you did hear me say earlier that it is going to be a little bit more um, time consuming to weed that area because you're going to be doing it all by hand. It's very hard to get a hoe or a hand trowel in um, a situation like that to do some of that uh, weeding mechanically. One of the little tricks that I found on my own, well, actually, no, I think I did hear this from somebody. It was a long time ago, though. So if this was you, I owe you credit. Um, one of the problems with using an earthway seeder is that it's not necessarily designed for very, very small seeds, um, whereas a jang is. And the problem with an earthway is that it can oftentimes put out too much seed. So you've got, you know, instead of um, five plants in a six-inch span, you've got 500 plants in a six-inch span. And that's just like that's way, 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 way too much. And you're wasting a lot of seed and a lot of money when you're doing that. Um, so ultimately, you need to, if you're using an earthway, uh, which we do, you need to cut the seed. So if you know that you have 300 bed feet or you have 100 bed feet um, of space to fill and you know that you want to have, let's say, around 3,000 plants in that bed. Um, that's just a little over nine per square foot. Um, you need to do that math on the on the beginning before you are ready to plant. Um, and if you're buying seeds, um, they it the, the seed packet will either tell you by weight or by uh, seed count. So it'll say, you know, approximately 100 seeds or approximately 200 seeds per packet. If it's broken out by weight, it should tell you that you've purchased, you know, one gram of seeds, and then it should give you, like, um, how many seeds per gram. Or you could figure that out on the internet, too, if the packet doesn't tell you. But ultimately, what I'm getting at is if you know how many seeds you want in that bed, and you know the germination rate, you can figure out how many seeds you actually need to plant um, just through some very simple math. 
what I would do then is take that amount of seed that I, I want to germinate and I want to have in my bed, and then I'm going to add maybe two or three, maybe four cups of like a fine sand or a vermiculite, um, and then mix all that together. What you want to do is you want to have your seed size and your particle that you're cutting the seed with, uh, you need that to be the, uh, relatively the same size. So like play sand worked really well for celosia seed. Um, something a little bit bigger and clunkier, um, like a scabiosa or a uh, zinnia seed, you would cut that with like a coarse grade vermiculite because um, you want to have that particle size be relatively similar so that it's got an even distribu distribution rate um, amongst your two materials. Once you have those two mixed together, what you're then going to do is dump that into the earthway hopper that's attached. Um, and then I would usually um, figure out what seed plate I'm going to be using. Um, so I, I want something that the seed is going to easily go through, but I don't want it to be too big. So like the bean, the green bean plate, totally not happening. Um, I'm going to be working in more of like the carrot or the radish um, area. Um, a lot smaller vegetable seed. And the reason you need to, you know, be aware of um, that is because the Earthway Cedar was originally made and is designed for vegetables, not for flowers. So we have to have a little bit of that pre-existing knowledge or learn about the size of those um, types of seeds as well. Um, so there's a little bit of, of more knowledge that goes into that process too. Once I have that figured out and I've got that plate selected and I've got my hopper of material filled and ready to go, um, my next thing is I'm going to make sure that I have my irrigation tape or drip line laid out onto the bed. The reason you want to have that done ahead of time is because those drip lines that you have tightly pulled over the length of your bed that you're growing in are going to be great guidelines for you for when you're pushing this earthway cedar so that you have nice straight rows. And straight rows are very important when it comes to weeding and making that weeding process more efficient. Um, so you want to make sure that you have that done. Um, the next episode, number 22, is actually talking about irrigation, so I'll be sure to talk about some of the tips and tricks and ways to simplify and streamline your irrigation process um, through drip irrigation, um, which is what we have the most experience in. Once you have your drip line done and your earthway is ready to go, um, which what I do is I'm going to follow along each side of the drip line um, with my earthway cedar. And you need to walk relatively quick with this. You can't go slow. If you go slow, um, all of your seeds, once they fall out of the seed plate and into the soil, are going to end up in a pile. So if you can have a brisk walk or maybe even a little jog, if your soil is nice and dry and loose, um, those seeds, when they fall, are all going to be hitting the soil at different times. So they're going to be more evenly spaced out in that row, which is going to help those plants once they root and start to get into maturity. So that's very important. Um, the biggest thing to keep in mind is that you need to be constantly aware of the seed that you have in your hopper with the earthway cedar. So if you get half of the bed done and you see that you don't have half of your amount of seed left in your hopper, um, what that means is you either needed to go faster or you needed to use a smaller seed plate. 
Um, and that's something that you're just going to learn along the way. Um, if you are in the opposite situation and you get halfway done with the bed and you see that you have a lot of seed left, um, then you're going to want to change out your seed plate or finish the bed and then do it over again. Just follow the same uh, pattern, same footsteps, and just do it again. Because what that means is that you aren't getting as much seed out as you thought you were. Um, so you're going to be doing it again. Um, and all of this you're, you're doing in the preliminary stages in the preliminary years to really build up these foundations and this, this knowledge bank for your own use. Um, it took me several years to figure out how to um, do Celosia and how to do Zinnias and Cosmos and all the things and Amaranth um, and have good spacing. So do not expect to get this right out of the gate. This is going to be a learning process for you. Um, so understanding how to cut seed and the different materials you can cut with are great. The reason you want to plant in rows, and I've mentioned this previously, is um, or straight lines, is so that you can have an easier time with weeding. Um, one of the biggest tools that we use when it comes to weeding, um, direct seeded stuff, is either just a, a straight um, hoe, so it's got like that straight cutting blade, um, or a stirrup hoe. Stirrup hoes work great for um, weeding direct seeded crops too. When we are weeding direct seeded beds, our first focus is to get the weeds out of the aisles in between the lines of plants. So let's say your bed is three feet wide. Um, you are probably going to have four lines of plants on that bed, okay? Uh, because you, you've got two lines of drip tape or more, um, and you, you're planting on both sides of, the, of that drip tape. Um, so with that in mind, um, the most space that is going to be available is that space in between those planted lines of seed. Um, so you need to take care of that first. And then once you get that done, then you can go back through and get the weeds out in the actual planted line. Um, that's number one. Because um, if you can get rid of those um, weeds that are growing in the spaces in between, um, eventually those seedlings that you've planted um, are going to canopy out. And they're going to basically shade out a lot of the newer growth that would happen later in the season with weeds. Um, so that's important. If you are even more intimidated um, with direct seeding, I'll probably tell you this as a little bit of a reassurance. Um, when it comes to direct seeding, my goal um, is to weed that space twice. So if we can do one pass once the, the crop that we've planted germinates and the weeds are starting to germinate too, get in there right away. Um, and then number two, um, right before those plants start to canopy out and fill in that bed, um, get in there again for one last weeding. Um, because once those crops, whether it's zinnias or celosia or amaranth, um, once those canopy out with their big mature leaves, um, sun is not going to be able to penetrate that soil. So you're going to have less chance of weeds coming through. Will there be a few? Yes, absolutely. Um, and there are going to be weeds that pop up and you lose track of and it, and it happens. Um, so you're not a failure if you have weeds. We have weeds everywhere. They're all, all the time. And it's just part of how it goes. So no problems there. 
Um, I do quickly want to touch on how we set up our irrigation. So for beds that were direct seeding, we want our irrigation to be on the surface of the soil, um, not subsoil irrigation. Um, we want subsoil irrigation for when we're doing transplants uh, because the soil of the cell that has the roots in it um, needs to be or needs to have really convenient access to water. So that's why you would want the drip line below the soil surface. With seeds and direct seeding, um, our seeds are relatively shallow. So we need that soil to be where we need the water to be where the seeds are, um, which is closer towards the top. Um, there is a little trick for keeping your drip lines tight, which is important. If you've ever worked with drip tape and um, you work where the sun shines, you will probably have noticed that if your drip line is just resting on the top of the soil and you don't have it staked down or pulled tight, as it heats up, those that the plastic will start to expand um, and you'll get like a, a snake shape or it'll kink up and then it you got a mess, especially if it gets windy. So keeping these drip lines tight is very, very important. The way that we do that is when we tie off the end of a drip line, um, what we'll do is we'll pull it tight. Um, so it, the, the drip line is attached to the header line with a fitting. Um, we're pulling it tight, and then we're sticking a drip line or a, a landscape staple, um, fabric staple, through the drip tape um, and directly into the soil. And make sure, since we're saying this via voice and not via picture, when you punch the staple through the drip line, make sure it's on the other end of the knot that you've tied um, and not where the water's going to go. Because if you punch the staple through where the water's going to be, you're just going to have a mess, okay? So when you tie your double knot in the drip line, because that's really all you have to do, you don't have to buy the fancy fittings and everything for the back end, um, punch your landscape staple through, pull it super tight, and then you're good to go. If you really wanted to get fancy, I've seen people use um, small bungee cords um, some, with something elastic in it, um, and that elastic will fluctuate as that um, drip line heats up and then cools down at night. Um, so you can take it as far or as not far as you like. Um, so there are a few things that you also need to keep in mind when it comes to crop specifics. Um, and this is more so in regards to timing. Um, and that's, that was always my issue with certain crops. And the, the first one and the biggest one was Bells of Ireland because Bells of Ireland are very, very hard for me to germinate in a tray for seedlings. And, um, I didn't really want to buy plugs of it either because plugs are expensive and I just needed to figure it out. So the way that we do Bells of Ireland is in an unheated caterpillar tunnel, we will direct seed our Bells of Ireland seed in the fall because they need cool temperatures to germinate. So we direct seeded them in the fall, treat them like a cool flower because they really truly are. Um, and we want to see some nice germination and growth before winter really sets in. Um, once winter really sets in, then we cover that bed with Agrabon, um, let it rest all winter, and then those seedlings um, that have been hardened off over the winter time are fresh and ready to go when it starts to warm up in the spring. That's fabulous. 
if you don't have an unheated caterpillar tunnel, you can do this still by planting very early in the spring. The trick with Bells of Ireland is, is that you need those cool nighttime temperatures in order to really initiate this germination process. And that's the hardest part with this crop. Um, and you can do this by direct seeding Bells of Ireland, or you can um, do this same like thought process with trays, doing uh, seedlings and transplants. Um, but you can also use the same process with a landscape fabric too. So if you have like a pre-burned landscape fabric, you can just drop a few holes in each, or each, excuse me, goodness. You can drop a few seeds in each hole, cover it up, and you're still gonna have that same process happening with the cold nighttime temperatures. You just have to be able to get those seeds in as soon as you can. So basically, um, as soon as your soil is thawed enough for you to get out there, make it happen. Um, so that's number one. This really should go without saying, but your hot crops like celosia, zinnias, amaranth, things like that, you really shouldn't be planting those until your soil is nice and warm. If you're planting them too early, you're just going to have a lot of frost damage happen um, to the to the young seedlings. And th for these crops, it's really not what you need. Um, they need to be consistently warm um, to really have best results. Um, another thing that we're doing a lot more direct seeding with is grains, um, things like wheats and rye and sorghum. Um, all of those things are great, great uh, crops to be direct seeded um, because they grow very, very quickly as well. So definite bonus there too. With direct seeding, um, it's also very easy and very conducive to flip these beds when they get to be a little out of hand. Um, so if you know that you've got a bed that's just going to be an absolute disaster and um, you there's no way you're going to be able to get ahead of or caught up with the weeds, there is no shame in pulling the drip lines out of it and just tilling it in or mowing it down. Um, it's no problem with that. Um, We've done it before, and we'll definitely do it again. So <laughs> you can do that too. I think that this is going to start to wrap up this episode. Um, so during our time together, we've talked about the fundamentals. We've talked about weed pressures, soil profiles, things like that. We've talked about different devices that we use for direct seeding um, and some of the other little tidbits that um, are really f should be forefront in your mind when you are getting your direct seeding program started and really building your foundation of knowledge with direct seeding. So um, direct seeding flowers is a great, great option. Um, I do encourage you to um, look into it. Um, and that's really my, my goal for this is to share my knowledge, share my information and um, help make your program, your farm, your operation um, more profitable. A little bit better, a little bit easier to manage, um, you know, keeping in mind your your labor costs, things like that. Um, so that was my my intention for this episode. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope I was able to help you a little bit. Um, I did mention earlier, next episode, next week, um, is going to be on irrigation and how we do what we do um, and how we move water from point A to point B. So that's going to be um, very beneficial, especially with drip ear or with um, direct seeding in mind. 
So stick around and come back for that one. Um, as always, please do follow us on social media. We really appreciate it. Um, if you feel so inclined to, you can find us on Facebook at Clara Joyce Flowers and Instagram at Clara Joyce Flowers as well. Uh, we also have a wedding design account for our weddings that we do called Clara Joyce Weddings, so you can check out some cool stuff there. If you have questions about direct seating or ideas for new topics for episodes, you can send me an email at drew at clarajoyceflowers.com. On our website, we've also got uh, cut flower seeds, many of which we use for direct seating um, here at the farm. We've got those. We've got dahlia tubers, rooted uh, dahlia, and chrysanthemum cuttings. We've also got a bunch of merchandise and handmade soaps as well available for purchase. Depending on your streaming platform for your podcast today, uh, please feel free to like, comment, and subscribe to what we've prepared for you. Um, going back through and reading all of your feedback is really, really cool, um, and it is a highlight of our day. I do share that with the crew, so we, we appreciate that. We also just appreciate you being here. You know, your support, your listening is really, really huge, and um, I can't thank you enough. So um, I hope you have a great rest of your day. I hope you have a great rest of your week or weekend. And I will see you next week. Bye.